Good morning. My name, oh, I better get here to the middle. My name is Pastor Ed, and it's my honor to introduce our guest speaker this morning. He is a Christian uh, orthopedic uh, physician with Slocum Center down in Eugene, Oregon. And what prompted me, uh, he spoke here during our August series uh, two years ago, but what prompted me uh, to invite him back uh, because I really appreciate how he integrates uh, his Christian faith and his commitment to scripture, and he integrates it with the science that his profession demands of him in the medical arena. And he's so committed to think through the scripture and the, the science that he has given himself to the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And primarily, I want to mention, he, had, he headed up the church commission as the chairman and I, we prayed when he was here last time about some curriculum they're developing so by way of introduction I just want to read this paragraph so we'll come to appreciate our speaker this morning the Christian Medical and Dental Association Church Commission was created to help bridge the gap between science and the church in doing so we seek to advance biblical scientific and rational principles of bioethical issues within the church to our culture and throughout the world. Result of this uh, labor of Dr. Um, uh, Lance and 40 other professional um, medical people, they developed what's called Bridging the Gap, where medical science and church meet, a new curriculum that I think the church, us as a Christian community, and non-church will be greatly served. And so he came to my mind, I sent him an email, and I left the door wide open what he might want to talk about. I just asked him, in this season, particularly with COVID, is God giving you a message? Let's welcome Dr. Brick Lance. Such a pleasure, such a pleasure to uh, worship with you this morning. Um, to be with like-minded individuals, people that love Christ, uh, and worshiping together in unity, and uh, just talking to elders, your love for him and your love for your neighbors. Um, anyway, it's a pleasure. Thank you for being here, and Ed, thank you for those kind words. And um, A mentor a long time ago, a mentor of mine, had told me, think of yourself not as a Christian physician, once you reverse that, what the ad adjective is and what the noun is, think of yourself as a physician Christian. And uh, I hope people know me as a believer, as a man of God. I fail, just like everybody else, and that uh, that's who I am. God has just called me into a profession where it's allowed me to uh, minister. And I consider it just an amazing privilege. Uh, yeah, being part of the CMDA commission has been a blessing. I'd love to talk about that at some point. I also get the privilege of being a medical director of our Pregnancy Resource Center. I know you have them in Salem area as well. Uh, and I've done that the past decade and that's been a pleasure. I also lead a campus group at University of Oregon. Some Oregon State students come, some from the Lebanon Medical School, just of kids that are going into the healthcare. Um, and anybody that's in the healthcare profession, any student that's interested in the healthcare profession, uh, we have a little Zoom meeting tomorrow night on what we've learned in the pandemic. So I have a panel of Christian doctors that are gonna talk about all kinds of stuff uh, that's happened in the medical community during the pandemic. 
Um, so again, thank you for uh, having me here. It was a pleasure to be here with you the summer before last. Um, so before I go on further, I think you ought to know who I am, all right? Before I, and, and when uh, Ed had, had emailed me, he said, what's on your heart to talk about? And I want to talk about prayer. And this is just what God placed in my heart, and that's right here this morning. <laughs> God's amazing. <laughs> He's just amazing how he works in, in unity in people's minds. Um, but I want to let you know who, who I am just a little bit. I was blessed by God's grace to have such a godly father. Um, he went to be with the Lord a number of years ago, but he's, of course, one of my, my heroes. He started me on scripture memory when I was age four. I had these little navigator cards. And he, he loved the King James. Um, now, there's, of course, other translations, but he loved the King James. So I still have them from my childhood. Psalms 122.1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And here we are. Here's a great one on prayer. James 5.16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's some rich language in that King James Version. But those are still in my mind from when I was a child. So I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, when I got to high school, I was the youngest of the siblings. My, my older brothers were gone, but my uh, mom became an alcoholic um, and had three very rough years with that disease. Uh, my senior year in high school, October, she passed away from multi-organ failure due to her alcoholism. Uh, two months later, I played a lot of sports. I had a knee dislocation. So I tore all the ligaments in my knee, had to have emergency surgery, uh, and then I was in a cast for three months on crutches. Again, this is back in the age of the dinosaurs before orthopedic surgeons knew what they were doing. Um, and uh, my knee kind of fell apart. That was in Oklahoma. I moved to California to college. My knee was a mess. Had to have another surgery. Uh, back on crutches, back in a long leg cast for another three months. And so I've, had, I've been through this year of just trials. And uh, the only way to get around campus was in a golf cart, huge campus. So I'd go class to class in a golf cart that they rent to people with disabilities. So I qualified to have the golf cart. But you had to pay for it. And I had no, I had no money at this point in time. It was the middle of the, of the semester. And I, was, I owed $204 on this golf cart. And I didn't have it. So I'm telling my roommates, my dorm mates, I said, can you please go to some of these classes and get my homework for me because I really want to finish this semester and I, I won't be able to get to class. I mean, they're just physically impossible. So I'm, the day I'm returning, this is the day I'm returning my golf cart and I'm driving across campus and I decided to go to my post office box and get my mail before I go return the golf cart. I thought that's a smart thing to do. So I go in there, there's one letter, one envelope in there from a name, it's from Oklahoma, didn't recognize the name. I opened it and the letter is, <laughs> I'm going to cry about how good God is. He goes, he goes, Brick, I know you don't know me, but God laid it on my heart. Now, before I finish the letter, I want you to know I was invited to speak back in Oklahoma as a senior in high school, our large church, at a, a day when the senior in high school was chosen to speak, and I got to speak and shared some of the same scriptures I'm going to share today. And uh, he goes, I know you don't know me, but I heard you speak last May, and God told me you need this money. He wrote me a check for $204, which is what I owed on the day it was due. It was God telling me, Rick, you can trust me. I know what you've been through. I know it's been tough. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So 
So anyway, you know, trials do amazing things. You know, you have to look back sometimes. I have just a wonderful wife that I met on my golf cart. <laughs> um, that's another story for another time. It led me to become an orthopedic surgeon, and for that I'm blessed. Um, I would encourage you to know your testimony. You know, when we go out into the world and share the gospel, we get rejected. Some people accept it. Some love to hear the gospel. Some just flat out reject it. And they're rejecting God. They're not rejecting you. And they can deny the gospel message. But what they cannot deny is your story. They cannot deny who you are in your story and how God's worked in your life. So I would encourage you to know your testimony. So that's, that's all I want to say there. So I'm going to talk about prayer as a physician, but how scripture has been an example and exhortation to me to develop my life of, of prayer. So let me open us in prayer. Uh, dear Father, I pray that the words from my mouth will be your words, that they will give glory and honor to you. I pray for our minds. I pray that our minds get renewed. I pray for our hearts. I pray that our hearts will get renewed and strengthened. I pray for our feet and our hands, that they will take the good news of you out to the world. In your name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be out of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and those out in Zoom land, if you get your, your Bibles uh, ready. And I want to sh talk about how Paul prayed for the church, because uh, there's a lot of wonderful examples in the letters uh, that he wrote. And he certainly gives an example of how he prayed, but also exhorts the churches to pray. My father also taught me, and this is an acronym that many of you know, some may not, so I'll, I'll say it, that, the ACTS way to pray, A-C-T-S. So I learned that as a little child, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Um, I still use it a lot, um, and we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that. So I have some questions for you. Since you're going to go into a season of prayer, it sounds like, particularly with your small groups, do you enjoy prayer? Do you enjoy praying for others? Do you enjoy praying with others? So ponder those questions. I have some claims. I won't say that prayer brings joy. Prayer facilitates relationships. And prayer glorifies God. So what does Paul pray for the church? Let's first start in the book of Ephesians. Now this is from the New American Standard, uh, so your version may be different. But Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. By the way, I'm just going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt real quick. I love technology, and I'm very bad at technology. My children frequently get to make fun of me because I'm just not very good. I think I'm good at what I do, but I'm not good with technology. But my church prayed for you this morning because on my drive up here, it took me about an hour. We have a group of about a dozen people that sit together before church and pray. So I asked them to pray for you, and they spent some time praying for you. I just want to let you know that. And so um, Zoom's a wonderful thing. I love it. I promise you I did not close my eyes while I was praying with this group of believers up, driving up here. But it was delightful. So Paul again, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, 
to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and that what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So that, now remember some of these. That's Ephesians 1. Ephesians 3, I'm going to start in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I love this song that you chose. It goes, when I fight, I will fight on my knees. Do you guys catch that line in the song? That's our battle, by the way. We're going to talk more about that. Is, is prayer. Prayer is our battle. Okay, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth drives its name that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend all, with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Okay, we're going to skip to Philippians. And Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 3 and 4. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for all of you. And then 9 and 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And then let's go to Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 3. Notice how Paul starts this entire letter just after his introduction. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Now verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Um, so taking all those together, I just wrote down a list. So here's my list. Here's the thing Paul is praying for these churches that are just dearly beloved uh, members of the body of Christ to Paul, churches that he planted and started. So he prays for them. And here's my list, wisdom, knowledge, and it's not general knowledge, knowledge of him, enlightenment, understanding, discernment, strength, power, love, knowledge of, or no love of Christ, fruit, joy, patience, hope, no riches of the inheritance, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that you're filled up, that you're blameless and worthy. Now I carry around with me a little card, 
And uh, you ladies who came up and spoke, I'm happy to give you. I have bunches of these. But uh, I laminated a card for basically Colossians and Ephesians. And uh, so Ephesians, strengthened, Christ will dwell, grounded in love, no love filled up. Colossians, no God's will, live morally, fruit, knowledge, strength, and steadfast, patience, joy, thankfulness, no values there. Um, so people often pray, when I, and I lead a trip to Haiti every year, a surgical medical trip, and people say, how can we pray for you? And I hand them my card. <laughs> this is my card. If you're going to pray for me, this is what I want you to pray for me and the team. You know, people often come up and say, we're going to pray that God will protect you and keep you healthy. I would like you to notice, and I'm not condemning praying for the physical because I do it all the time and I want people to pray for me. But I want you to notice when Paul prayed for the church, he never prayed anything physical for him. Do you notice that? That whole list is not physical. There's something more important. Now, the physical bodies, I... We ought to be praying for cancer, and I think it's an answer to prayer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to share a little bit later uh, how I pray for my patients in particular. But this is what I want to pray for you, and this is what I want you to pray for me. I think Paul set a wonderful example. But you know, I'll, I'll leave that up here if you would like an example of that card. So the question is, what do you pray for other saints? And Paul used the word saints frequently throughout the scripture. In other words, the other believers. Are you intentional? Sounds like you're going to be. Are you consistent? Sounds like you're going to be. Do you pray for the persecuted? And I just think uh, I have a privilege of knowing people that do mission work all over the world. There's a lady in our Bible study who uh, has dear friends in Myanmar or Burma as it's, it's stated. And so she's, they can't even email now because they closed down the email. I don't know if you know the army took over the country just last week and uh, some good friends are had to flee. They had to flee their homes because they're going to be arrested. And they're being arrested for being believers. That's why they're being arrested. They're not arrested for any other reason. They're arrested for being believers. Um, I have some doctor friends that go to Nigeria and I don't know if you hear what happens. They're just Christians are slaughtered for being Christians. Um, I hope you're praying for the persecuted around, around the world. And there's many, many countries. Do you pray for those suffering? I hope you do. Um, uh, let me just pause (laughs) let's just pray for the Olson family dear father just uh, I lift up this family I can't think of anything more trying Uh, I pray that they know your know you and the value of being an heir um, and of your love Lord Uh, I pray that this church body will be unified and supporting your name amen you pray for unity. Now, I love Paul. Some of his letters, he brings out anatomy. And I delve in anatomy every day, all right? 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about a lot of anatomy. So in Ephesians chapter 4, he goes, knit together by every supporting ligament. Now, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I deal with ligaments every day. So I don't know how Paul knew anatomy so well. That's what holds us together, our physical bodies. But he's using it in a spiritual sense, of course. But do you pray for unity? Let's flip to John chapter 17. And your Bible may have a heading for this section in Scripture. I like to call it the Lord's Prayer. Now people think of how in the book of Matthew and the that we're taught how to pray to the Father. 
But this is how Christ prayed to the Father. All right? So let me just read uh, verses 20 and 21. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, and then he's talking about his disciple, these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. And then my understanding, I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but that includes who is going to hear the word and believe it from here on out. So that's you, that's me. That they may be one, even as though, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. So unity demonstrates to the world who Christ really is. So again, do you pray for unity? Do you pray for the non-saints? Sometimes it's hard, particularly if it's a difficult relationship. Do you pray that truth will be revealed in their hearts and in their minds? Again, I'm going to share with what a mentor had shared with me a long time ago. Um, it kind of comes back to this card. And it was, it was uh, funny. One of the ladies in our prayer time this morning while I was in the car said, Be with Brick. And I heard your elder just quote the very last words of Matthew, Matthew 28, and for I am with you until the end of the age. God has promised to be with us. He is with us. It's found throughout Scripture. He will never leave us nor forsake us. All right? And I get the intention, because the intention is to have a relationship with the Father, an intimate relationship, which I want to talk about. But if, when people, when people pray for me, and I'm going, and like I'm going on a mission trip, and they say, oh, be with Brick, I'd rather them say, Father, I know you are going to be with Brick. I pray that his heart and his mind will realize you're with him. You know, realize that you're there. Have him trust you. Have him believe in you. Have him have the Father be in control, not himself. That's where I want people to pray for me. He's going to be with me. So I'm just saying that if you want to think in your minds and your hearts to match what you come out of your word, your mouth, the words that come out of your mouth, think about that. Think about truly what you're praying uh, for the other person. If you want an intimate church, if you want intimate home groups or community groups, whatever you call them, Bible study groups, if you want unity, I would encourage you to pray for each other, and I would pray, encourage you to pray with each other, and I would pray for more than the physical. I know our, our home group, we get, when we get together, I mean, physical reality happen, and we pray a lot for the physical. But I encourage our group also to pray beyond that that we will know these things that Paul prays for the church. So I want you, real quick, if you're, if you're married and out there in Zoom land, I want you to define intimacy to your spouse if you're married. If you're not married, you can just think about it. Just whisper, what do you, just real quickly, define intimacy. I want you to define it. Whisper to your spouse. Whisper to your spouse what you think it is. Out there in Zoom land, you can talk out loud. They're whispering in here. But what do you think intimacy is? There's not a wrong answer, by the way. There's lots of answers. All right, so most people have kind of whispered their thought. I've got a simple definition. Again, someone who mentored me. A very simple definition that I want you to think about for intimacy. And we're going to see how it applies to the church. Here's the definition. If it matters to you, 
it matters to me. If it matters to me, it matters to you. Okay, now you can apply that across any relationship. As a parent, I certainly want my children to know what matters to me and make it matter to them. And as a parent, I want the things that matter to my children matter to me. I may say no, because they're little, all right? But the things should matter. Now, again, with your spouse, you can't know what matters to your spouse unless you open your heart and are vulnerable to your spouse and listen to your spouse and really understand the things that matter to them. So that's the two-way street. Now, think about our relationship with God. And this is where prayer comes in. Everything that matters to you matters to God. Do you know that? Everything that matters to you matters to God. He may say no. And certain about things that are immoral, he'll say no. And some things may be more morally neutral, but he'll say no because he has a purpose. But here's the question. Does everything that matter to God matter to you? Now, I will confess at times it doesn't to me. That's my sinful nature. But I hope in my heart that as I grow as a believer, as, a, as faith in Christ, the things that matter to God become more important to me and to my life. Do you ever get mad at your spouse? All right, if you've been married more than a week, I know you have. All right. What, here's a good solution. I, I'm not a marriage counselor, but here's a good solution when you're mad at your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Pray that your spouse gets filled with joy, that knows her value is in error. That'll stop you from being angry. All right? Very quick solution. You ever get mad at your children? For you that have young children, you're mad that they did something. Stop. Pray. Pray that your child will know their value is in error a joint heir with Christ, filled up with, with hope and with joy. That'll stop you from being mad. You ever mad at God? I am sometimes. It brings me to my knees and want to pray. And if you're looking at a, at, a, at a way to pray to God and express your emotion, I would encourage you to read a psalm. Read a psalm and then pray. I mean, David wrote most of the Psalms, not all of them, but most of them. But he pours out his heart, and sometimes it's not real pleasant. All right? But read a Psalm. Now, if you don't know God, in other words, you're here, because you're here for whatever reason, and you can pray that God will reveal himself to you, but if you're going to do that, this is how he's revealed himself. All right? So I would encourage you to get into the scripture. Read the book of Ephesians. Read the whole letter. There's a message in that letter of how much God loves you and what he did, the sacrifice he did of his son on the cross and the resurrection. I would encourage you to read that. Um, it says in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, in other words, that he's your Savior and Lord, and believe in your, in your heart, that, he has raised, that God has raised Christ from the dead, you'll be saved. So that's a simple prayer. If you don't know him, all you need to do is say, Lord, thank you. I'm sorry for my sinful nature. Thank you that you sent your son, and I, I want him as Savior, and I want him as Lord. So if you really believe that in your heart, it's pretty simple. That's the gospel message, you're saved. 
Now here's, now this doesn't really have to do with intimacy, but I'm going to throw this in there. Do you ever get mad at the president? And I'll say the past president or the current president. And I've been mad at both, okay? And I do have people that will come to me and complain this, complain that. If it's a believer, you know, the first question I ask them now, I said, have you prayed for him? So they may have all this whining, this complaining. I said, well, have you stopped and prayed for him? You know, we're commanded to do that in Scripture. So if you want to, you can turn to 1 Timothy. I'll just want to read that real quick. I think it's important in this day and age to understand what, what Scripture says. Chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. All right, so let's pray for our leaders. Now the question is, how do you pray without ceasing? It says that in 1 Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. Very short verse. 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Now, that seems like a tall task. But I do want to kind of address that a little bit. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. Or chapter 5. I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 17. I want you to notice the verse before that and the verse after that. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If our heart and minds are about joy and about giving thanks, you can't help but pray without ceasing. Can't help that. Let's go to, uh, well, let me just read real quick. And then Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. In some translations, pray without ceasing in that verse too. But prayer goes hand in hand with perseverance, with joy, with hope, and with thanksgiving. Ephesians, let's go to Ephesians 6.18. Again, we're commanded to pray continually with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times. Not sometimes, not occasionally. Pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. So are you on the alert for perseverance and petitions for all your like-minded believers of this body of Christ? I hope you are. Now I have, to, I have an image as Paul's writing this letter. Um, and most of you know chapter 6 of Ephesians. You know, it is a spiritual battle that we're in. And I can just image Paul maybe dictating this letter to the scribe. But he sees this Roman soldier they were, they were all over the place, a Roman soldier. And so he has this imagery, this helmet of salvation, this breastplate of righteousness, this belt of truth that's girded around, the shield of faith, the sword, which is the spirit and the word of God. That's our offensive weapon, by the way. And then your, their feet, you know, they have these sandals. Their feet is what takes them places, and that's the gospel message, the gospel of peace. So here's... Paul telling the church of Ephesians how to gird themselves with this image of this Roman soldier. And so just after he gives this imagery, it's just after this that he says pray. Pray is 
pray is our means of engaging the battle. Now, I want you to note right after that what Paul... So Paul exhorts us to pray. He certainly gives us examples. But note what Paul asks for the body of the Ephesians to pray for him. So let's go to verse 19. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, then proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here's my question for you. You can read that again on your own, but you pray that for your elders and your pastors. You pray that, that they will speak boldly, the gospel. You pray it for your co-workers in Christ. You pray it for others in leadership. Now let's go to Philippians uh, chapter 4. And again, there's this uh, command uh, to be continuous in prayer. And in verse 6, it goes, but in everything, by prayer. Everything. Again, not some things, not occasional things, but in everything. Everything. Our whole life. So it starts out again, verse 4 of chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There's that joy. Every time Paul mentions prayer almost, he mentions joy. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how do we develop that attitude of prayer, that desire to prayer, that desire to have our whole life engulfed in prayer? How do you do that? Well, let's go to Philippians 4, 8. 8. Just the next verse. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So I ask you, what does your mind dwell on? Now, your mind dwells on things that you interact with on a daily basis. You have certain choices about what you allow it to dwell in your mind. Sometimes we get bombarded with other things as we go through life. But you have a choice to let what you let enter your mind. That's going to influence as you now break into groups and pray for this body. I'd be careful what you let enter your mind. Be careful. Use this as a guideline for what you want to enter your mind. What is pure and good and lovely and of excellence and of good repute. That will influence your prayer life. Here's a question for you. Have you ever been an answer to prayer, you personally? Have you ever been an answer to prayer? Some of you have. Some of you don't know it, and you have been. All right? Because, again, God works in mysterious ways. It is a joy and a privilege to be an answer to prayer. That means you have given yourself to God's work in the world, and he's used you. And there's not, there's not a greater honor. Again, these things that Ed said about me, it's, I don't want you to think high of me because I've done this or I've done that. I want you to think of God, think high of God because he chose me to do it. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. But I want to share two stories. What a privilege it is um, to be an answer to prayer. So two short stories. And if we're going to talk about prayer, I could probably talk for an hour, but I will, I will keep going here and sum this up shortly. But... Two short stories. I have a brother in Christ who does prison ministry, 
And so he's up here at Salem at the state penitentiary very frequently, has been for decades, um, doing all kinds of ministry, from sports to uh, uh, journalism to all kinds, kinds of things. And so I kind of got involved with him before I got super busy with other uh, things in my career and, and other mission opportunities. But when the Ducks played in the national championship, you remember the first time they played down in Arizona, all right, um, he called up his group of like-minded men that have been with him to the Salem Penitentiary. He said, we have an opportunity to go into the federal prison uh, outside of Phoenix and minister to the prisoners. Who wants to go? So he had a, uh, one of the ex-Oregon Duck football players, massive guy that played in the NFL for a number of years, who was going to give his testimony. And he brought his younger brother, who was a drug dealer in Seattle before he met Christ. So you have these two brothers that kind of went opposite direction, but God brought them both back, and that was a testimony the prisoners were going to hear. It was a, it was a, so, so those two went, my brother went, and then I said, can I bring my son? He said, yeah. My son was a teenager at the time. And, uh, uh, and then one other man came. So there's a small group of six of us. And uh, we went actually into the worst of the worst, where, where you can only talk to the prisoners through a little tiny slot, uh, because they're in solitary confinement, and we'd go through each one and can we pray for you? Some said yes, some said no, but those that said yes, we'd pray for them. And then we got to a big group. This is all before the football game. We did make it to the football game just, just at kickoff, but before <laughs> when we're in this prison. And so we're about 75 prisoners, and so uh, the NFL player and his little brother were introduced and, and, uh, um, and uh, gave their testimony, beautiful testimony, I think powerful to the prisoners. And then one of the kind of the head prisoners, these prisoners have a hierarchy. The head prisoner says, hey, you guys are all here. We want to hear from the rest of you, the other four. We want to hear from you guys. We, we hear what, what these two guys said. We want to hear from you. So we each gave, got up there and said something. My, my son opened the book of Matthew and read from the book of Matthew. And I don't even remember what I said at the time. But afterwards, a couple of the prisoners who are believers have been praying for their prison. I want you to know that you're an answer to prayer. And I said, what? He said, the vast majority of the men in this prison do not know what a father-son relationship looks like. They've never seen it. They've never experienced it. We were praying all week that they would see it. And we just saw it in you and your son. I said, wow. I didn't realize you were praying that. Here's another fun story. So down in Haiti, um, I take a team. I do orthopedic surgery, but I bring some other surgeons and other medical doctors. But one of the orphans down there, one of the older, older orphans, had a, a tumor in his ankle uh, that I've been following for years. And I knew at some point I'd have to operate on when he gets closer to finishing his growth, because I knew if I took out the tumor, it'd wreck his growth and end up with a bad ankle. So I had to wait till he's done growing. You know, there's no pathology. I thought it was benign, because I've been following it for years. And now I come down. We always flew on on a Saturday. And he's about 13 or 14. He's gone through a little bit of growth spurt. And I said, I said to the uh, Haitian nanny that's taking and to the hospital administrator, we need to get his x-rays because I may want to operate on a Monday. Because we'd talked about surgery for years for him. And he knew surgery was coming. And I looked at, looked at his growth plates, and they're getting close to growing. I looked at the tumor, it's getting bigger. I said, we're operating Monday. All right. So I operate Monday. Um, surgery went great. And had to, anyway, I don't want to go through the complexity of the surgery. Um, surgery went very well. And even a year later, came back, and uh, he's playing soccer and stuff. But here's, here's, best part of the story 
which was unbeknownst to me. So I flew on on a Saturday. On Friday, he came home from school, and kids are the same everywhere across the world. He came home in tears because the other kids were making fun of him because he couldn't play soccer and run around with the boys. Boys will be boys, and that's what they do. They make fun of him. So he came home in tears. So the Haitian nanny, who's a believer, lovely Christian lady, said, let's just pray. By the way, when she prayed, she had no idea I was coming the next day. She doesn't know when I'm coming. She has no idea. So she prayed, let's pray that Jesus is going to heal you, that he's going to provide a way to make you well. So they prayed that Friday. I show up Saturday, and I didn't hear the story about two months later. I thought, well, that is just a joy. There's a joy to prayer. There's a joy to be an answer to prayer. There's a joy for praying for someone else, and they're an answer to prayer. So that's what Paul talks about in the scripture, about the joy of prayer. So let me just share a little bit about my personal prayer life, and I'm not saying this because I'm some righteous guy that has it all together, but Scripture has been wonderful me, wonderful to me to teach me about prayer. I've had wonderful mentors. So I will tell you what I do. At the end of the day, my head hits the pillow, and I have to be, sometimes I have to be quick, because I, sometimes I'm extremely tired, and my wife knows I can fall asleep in 60 seconds if I try to. <laughs> That's just the way I'm wired and the way I'm built. But I give thanks. I go through the day, starting at the beginning, and I just give thanks to the Father for that day. It could have been an opportunity, it could have been a trial, it could have been a relationship, it could have been anything. But I go through the day. I think of all the opportunities that God put before me. I think of all the blessings that he's bestowed on me. I think about the relationships that I experienced that day with other people. I think about my work and what I was able to do with his gift to me uh, that he's granted. So I, I thank him for all that. Now you just heard your elder up here about giving joy and trials. That's not always easy to do. So I do thank God for the testing and the difficulties. It happens most days. At work, there's difficult patients. Sometimes I have difficult staff or a big organization. Sometimes my partners can be very difficult. I just say thank you. I don't know, what I'm, I don't know why I'm thanking him, because it wasn't fun, but I'm thanking him. Well, I do kind of know why. James 1, 2 is our tr considerate joy when you face trials, knowing that the testing or the trial will test your faith, which will lead to endurance, which will make you mature and complete. So, Father, if you're trying to make me mature and complete, I thank you. All right? 1 Peter 1.6, For the trying of your faith is greater than gold, more valuable than gold. Why is it more valuable than gold? Because that leads to the praise and the glory and honor of Christ. That's 1 Peter 1.6. Okay, if me going through some difficulty gives praise and glory and honor to Christ, bring it on. I don't really want trials. In fact, well, let me keep going. I, I always thank God for loving me and the grace he's shown me. I, I say that every night. And then I always thank him for my wife, Ephesians chapter 5. I thank him for my children, Ephesians chapter 6. And then, again, I do pray the physical, so I'm not, I'm not ignoring that. My wife just had some oral surgery, and it was painful. Prayed for every day. She's better now. Um, but I, I, I do pray for that. But I really focus on that they'll know, particularly for my children, 
particularly for my children. And I ask for blessings for them. I ask for protection for them. Give them health. I pray those things. But more important, I pray that they will know the joy of knowing you, that they can be fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, that they'll have their hope will be in him. That's what I pray for my children. I pray that every day. Now, will God answer that prayer? Somehow, in some way, I believe he will answer that. I do pray for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and he gives it liberally. So let's go to James real quick. So that's James 1.5. You know, later on in the letter, in the cha- other chapter, chapter 3, verse 17, he describes what that wisdom is. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Now, I don't always live by that wisdom, but that's the wisdom I want God to put in me. So I do pray for wisdom every day. Romans 1.22, well, Romans 1 talks about humanity and how God's revealed himself to all men at all times. And he goes, professing to be wise, they became fools. The last thing I want to do is profess to be wise. It seems like the more that I grow in Christ, the more I study his scripture, the more I don't know, the more I realize that I don't know. I hope that makes sense. So I don't want to be like other people who profess to be wise, making fools of themselves. I do pray for others, and I think it's a privilege to pray for others. Um, Well, let me just give you one example. So one of our nurses uh, at our pregnancy resource center, so I drop by there every every so often, and uh, it was the end of the day, patients are gone, and she's back in her little nursing station, and then some ultrasounds, and I will tell you, working in a pregnancy resource center for these people that work there full-time, it can be heartbreaking uh, when you minister to women who are in a situation in life where they don't want to be, and they demonstrate love and compassion and truth, yet they still decide to sacrifice the baby. It is heart-wrenching, absolutely heart-wrenching. So she had some of that that day. She had a friend with some serious medical issues, and then she had her best friend, who had just decided to marry a non-believer and be unequally yoked. It was a hard, it, she was, and I just said, how you doing? It's kind of those things, how you doing? Now, if someone responds, fine, do you know what that acronym, fine, is? Feelings inside never expressed? That's fine. She did not respond, fine. She laid out her heart to me. So I just, it was a privilege and opportunity for me to just sit there and pray with her. Look for those opportunities to pray for others. Look for them. They may respond fine, but if they respond something else, take the opportunity and pray. Again, I mentioned earlier, I do like to pray the Psalms. Read a, if, you, if you're wondering, how do I get my prayer life going? Read a Psalm and then pray. Pray acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And then lastly, as I'm in bed, I do ask for forgiveness. Because every day, I know I have thoughts, if not words, that are not edifying. Ephesians 4.29, let your words be seasoned with grace. Sometimes my words are not. I ask for forgiveness. I miss opportunities. There are people that God puts in the path of my life that I ignore and am disobedient to, to the Father of not ministering to them. So I pray for forgiveness. 
Sometimes, well, you can get more detail from my wife, but I get frustrated at certain things. Sometimes I have bad language. What I really ask for forgiveness for from the Father is when I'm a poor ambassador. So in Ephesians, Paul causes us an ambassador. So Ephesians uh, chapter 6, we just read that. He goes, verse 20, for which I am an ambassador. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, he calls all of us ambassadors. You know what a privilege it is to be an ambassador? I mean, if someone, if the President of the United States calls you up and says, hey, we'd be an ambassador to such and such, I mean, people jump at the chance. It's a privilege. It's an honor. We have the greatest privilege and honor to be an ambassador for Christ. There's no greater honor, no greater privilege. And I want to represent him well, and I need to apologize when I don't. And I've come across people that ask, but what can I do for the kingdom of Christ? What can I do for the church? All I can do is just pray. Well, just pray, those two words don't go together. That's an oxymoron. God has called us to prayer. It's the most powerful tool we have. So if you want to know what you can do for the kingdom and for the church, it's pray. So in closing, prayer brings joy. Prayer facilitates relationships, and prayer glorifies God. So I'm going to ask my questions to you again. Do you enjoy prayer? Do you enjoy praying for others? Do you enjoy praying with others? And I'm going to ask you, what do you pray for your pastors and elders? Do you give thanks to the Father for them? Do you pray that God will empower them? Do you pray that they will speak Scripture boldly? Do you use scripture to guide you for your prayer? For I know your pastors and elders would covet your prayers. They absolutely covet your prayers. So before I close this in prayer, I'm going to read a little poem. Anybody here a fisherman? I'm not much of a fisherman, but I love this poem. Some of you guys I know are fishermen. All right? Now, the theology behind this is not great, but just bear with me. Here's a little poem. I pray that I may fish... I pray that I may live to fish until my dying day, and when it comes to my last cast, I then most humbly pray. When in the Lord's great landing net, I'm peacefully asleep, that in his mercy I be judged good enough to keep. All right? You are good enough in Christ. That's the only thing that makes you good. So you will be in his net. Dear Father, Thank you that you listen to our prayers. Thank you that uh, you've given us your word, your scripture, that transcends time, uh, that transcends cultures, and that we can be a part of the family of God. Please unify us. Help us be of one body, one mind. In your name, amen.